Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Papardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 141. The Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, the second stop on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season, is live with the world's best surfers looking to wrap up their respective Hawaiian campaigns in strong fashion as the tour moves through the opening half of the season. The event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right. Episode 141. We are back with my co-host for this season where we talk about our respective experiences with the late, great Larry Haynes. We dive into the nuances of both surfing and competing at Sunset Beach. We answer listener questions and we evaluate where the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings are at headed into the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach with special insights provided by Leonardo Fioravanti's Shaper, Christian Bradley. We had a lot of fun on the podcast. I hope you do too. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitchell Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you All right, we are back. Uh, pretty quick turnaround between episode 140 and 141, but uh, blessed to be joined once again by my uh, part-time co-host for the season, Mitchell Salazar, as we gear up for stop number two on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach. Uh, Mitch, thanks so much for joining me once again. You know, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing great, Dave, but it's uh, sad news. Um, it's a sad day for surfing just in general. Um, we're recording on the day that we lost Larry Haynes. And, um, you know, I just want to say that guy was a pioneer when it comes to broadcasting the sport of surfing. I don't think without him, we'd be at the position that we're at today, just as a company and an organization and as a sport as a whole. Um, I knew Larry for, for years, but I know you had a deeper relationship with him and, um, Man, it's a big loss for us, Dave. Uh, I really loved him, and he'll be missed. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I, I think that's really well said. I, I would have met Larry in two thousand six, kind of right after I started, and um, you know, at the time, uh, Action Sports Group, which was uh, running Surfer and Surfing Magazine, they also ran a bunch of events in in 
uh, North America. Uh, they worked with Darren Brillhart and they ran events in Santa Cruz and Newport Beach and, you know, the, the surf bout at Lower Trestles, a lot of QS events. And um, they would employ Larry to do the water uh, filming. And so, you know, working in media at the time, um, I got to know him really well. And um, even from the very first time I met him, he was just kind. Like, let's, he, he was just such a kind person and he was so uniquely talented at what he did. And, and I had, you know, the really good fortune to know him for, yeah, geez, like, I mean, that's what, almost 20 years, you know, 17 years or whatever it is. And um, yeah, in terms of like the depth of anyone's relationship with him, like I, I, I'm fortunate to have known him for what he did, but I would say that anyone who just met him at, at Pipeline probably felt the same. He just treated everyone with kindness and, and he was so stoked and um, I know we were talking about a little bit earlier in the day, and I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people today about it. And, and so have I, and everyone's so bombed. And, and, and I guess he was just a unique person. And, and the thing that makes me happy about him is, is he seemed like he lived the life he wanted to live, you know, like he was always doing what he wanted to do. He loved being in the water and he was just sort of incomparable at what he was able to achieve. So it's a, it's a huge loss for the surfing world. Um, but you know, I, I hope, uh, I hope he's probably making people happy wherever he is right now. So it's, uh, it's really sad. Yeah. I was actually uh, checking out Chucky Regano's Instagram this morning and, uh, he had a really cool story about Larry that, um, when we were in El Salvador last year for the CT event at Punta Roca, Larry actually got drifted down so far um, that he had to walk out into the streets and walked back to the event site. It was probably a five to ten minute walk in his full suit with his gear and everything. And he was just smiling at everybody the whole time. And as you were mentioning, he was one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. And um, that's really what I'm going to miss about him is a smile and um, what he brought to us, you know, as a sport, as a community. And um He's going to be severely missed, you know, may he rest in peace. And um, he's catching the the eternal wave now, Dave. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, rest in peace, Larry. We're going to miss you. And um, I hope we get to catch up down the track wherever that is and whenever that yeah. is. So um, we'll switch gears here for a second, as, as challenging as, as that is. But um, we've got Sunset Beach coming up. And Sunset Beach has been a fixture of professional surfing since its inception in 1976, where it served as a venue for not just one, but two stops on the inaugural world tour. First, it was the Lightning Bolt Professional Surfing Championships, which was held at both Makaha and Sunset Beach. I'd, I'd love to know what the details were on that particular permit. And that event was uh, uh, won by Roy Russell. And then later in the year, um, it served as the venue for the Avis Duke Classic, which was won by James Jones. You know, it's been a championship tour event, world titles have been decided there. It's been the big scary monster at the end of the qualifying series in the past. It's It's been a bit of everything. And now it's the second stop on the CT. I, I personally have had the good fortune of staying at a house right there on the beach um, for a number, a number of years um, during my tenure at the, the ASPWSL. And um, it is a wave that has 
evokes so many emotions in me and has shaped <laughs> my own surfing experience pretty radically in a way that when I was a kid, um, and even as a young adult, I never ever thought it would, but I've never had to put a jersey on and compete out there, which is something that you, Mitch Salazar, have had to do. You know, tell me about your first experience at Sunset Beach. Well, Dave, um, you know, it was 2012. I was 18 years old, straight out of high school. I, I was living on the North Shore with one of my best friends, Kalani David, and I ended up surfing in the HIC Pro. I had already, you know, had a decent year on the QS as, as soon as I got out of high school. And I thought to myself, okay, like this is a wave that I've been spending a lot of hours in. You know, uh, I, I know the wave quite well during free surfs, but competing there is a whole different monster. First heat, I got Tane Wallace from New Zealand, who was a great surfer back in the day. He's around my age, late 20s. And then I had TJ Barron, who's a North Shore local, one of the best surfers out there on the entire North Shore. I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to kind of scout the region and see what's going on. I don't think I completed a wave all the way to the channel. And you know me, I love my statistics. I'm a huge fan of other sports and the way we involve statistics into the sport of surfing now, too. I surfed five events at Sunset Beach during my QS career. I never made a single heat. And if if I'm, you know, harsh on others, I'm harsh on myself, too. That's a wave that I can't figure out for the life of myself. I've logged in hours, days, ton of minutes in the water there at Sunset Beach. And I can tell you, it might be the most difficult wave I've ever had to surf in my life. It moves so much. It's very tide-dependent. When the wind gets strong and it's big, it's very hard to get into waves, and it truly does feel like an arena. It, it, it almost feels like you're in that movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, and you have everybody around you. There's so much noise coming down, and to find markers at that place is extremely difficult because the swell direction changes, and it breaks at another spot. Mm -hmm. And I've had the fortune of surfing both Sunset in a jersey and without it at Sunset Point on the West Bowl and on mm. the outside too. So I can tell you this wave changes a lot and it's very dependent on where the swell direction is coming from, Dave. For sure. I, um, you know, my own first experience there, I'd, I'd done a couple of years on tour, always stayed, you know, either on the other side of Waimea out at Leftovers or Alligator Rock or, um, you know, surfed a lot of kind of the, the easier waves, like as far as civilians go and, and had, had always kind of ventured up that way, but it was like, ah, you know, I, the biggest board I brought is a six, three, I'm not going out there. Um, and then one day, uh, the, the icon, you know, one of the, the founders of the sport, Randy Rarick, uh, called up our CEO, uh, Brody Carr uh, at the time and said, let's go surf sunset. It's a beautiful day. It was kind of, I think it was maybe after the season had finished or in between events. And it was a super clean, like few feet overhead, uh, West swell, like beautiful. And Randy's like, I've got a bunch of boards, you know, here's an eight, six, like bear, like he kind of like, <laughs> as like the surf geek fan in me was like, Oh, you wished for this. And now here you are. And now you're in deep shit. Like, and I'm like waxing this board up and I'm going, Oh no. And, and it was like, as far as all my sessions since then, like it was probably like the nicest, cleanest, most welcoming day, but you've got that kind of like perception in your head. Like I'm going to get cleaned up and die essentially. Um, but it's, it's a, it's such a fun wave. Like, and it, as you pointed out, different swells, different sizes, it breaks on different parts of the reef and, yeah, geez. I mean, I, I, I do really consider myself so fortunate to have stayed there for so many years and gotten to surf it on so many different 
uh, conditions and different spots. And, and the thing, and I'm curious to see if, if this translates to like a higher caliber uh, contest surfer like yourself, but the thing that I noticed is even as I was getting older and maybe not as uh, physically gifted as I was when I was younger, I would surf the wave so much better just from reps and experience and understanding like where am I lining up which wave looks good what's my entry speed like what size board am I riding like how long do I delay my bottom turn it's just this amazing kind of 3d chess kind of venue um, even as a free surfer and you know for yourself obviously the contest mindset is different than the free surfing mindset but did you find for yourself that just the experience over the years was actually the most valuable factor in, in getting more comfortable out there. No doubt. And especially, I think, um, besides that, the biggest thing was paddling out when it was big. Um, I always mm -hmm. wanted to challenge myself in conditions where I felt uncomfortable because when it got smaller, I knew that I was going to be able to sustain the amount of water that was moving out there. That's one thing that a lot of people underestimate about Sunset Beach. It is a deep water wave. It does not break on a shallow reef. It comes from deep water. And if you get caught inside, good luck, because that is a gnarly wave to take on the head. And especially if you're getting, you know, a five, six wave set on the head, too. Um, what I really took from it, uh, you know, despite not having a good competitive career there, I spent a lot of time in the water. I would have to say besides pipe and backdoor, that's easily the wave that I've logged the most hours in, uh, mainly because I was mm. staying there with a lot of my friends, but it's also because where there's a, there's a lot of contests there. So as a competitor right. and as somebody that's assisting my friends as a caddy for the most part too, you're seeing the wave from a different perspective. You're giving them all the knowledge that you've gained over the years within 20 to 30 minutes when they're competing themselves too. And essentially, as a caddy, you need to be listening to the beach announcer quite a bit because it's very difficult to listen out mm -hmm. there for your scores and your situation. So um, that's another thing that I think um, Sunset, Bre Sunset Beach brings to the table is that you almost need to surf like if it weren't a heat. You need to go out there in those 20 mm -hmm. to 30 minutes and just rely on surfing and knowing what your level is and surfing the waves that you do catch to the best of your abilities. That really tracks with what you hear from a lot of the elite level championship tour surfers and, and sort of since like time immemorial where, you know, the, it, it is an amazing wave to test your ocean knowledge. When you're provided with the sections, you can see some of the most radical power surfing of the season out there. But it is a bit like a roulette table, you know, and, and this goes for fantasy surfer, anyone that bets on surfing, like you're like this surfer for sure is going to do well out there. And it's such a huge playing field that occasionally those guys and girls that are the favorites just come up unlucky. Rhythm's a huge deal out yeah. there. And as we said, it, it was a championship tour venue for a long time. It then became a QS venue and, and looking at the results from last year when it came back on as a championship tour event on the men's side, you had, you know, replacement surfer wildcard Baron Mamiya won the men's side. And, and he was followed up by, you know, Kanoa Igarashi, Kaioi Belly, Ethan Ewing, and, and a number of surfers who weren't necessarily like title contender, title contenders. They were almost they had a little bit of that QS DNA in yeah. them or they're fresh off the QS. And similarly, when you're looking at the women's side, you know, Brisa Hennessy, who had fallen off tour the year before and scrapped her way back on through the Challenger Series, wins the event. You know, Malia Manuel comes runner up. You know, Gabriella Bryant and Betty Lou Sakura Johnson at equal third. It, 
it is one of those venues, I think, that it's almost better to go in with that fresh humility, maybe coming in off the QS or the CS and feeling like, okay, I have to make my own luck out here. It's not just going to, the waves are not just going to come to me because I'm sort of ordained to be the world champ. Is that a fair assessment from your experience as well? No doubt. There's a lot of truth in that, Dave, because look at even the runner-up on the men's side last year, Kanoe Garashi. A lot of people believe that he's been the best beach break surfer to come out of, you know, the, the, the U.S. region and now representing Japan. There's no doubt about it because when you compare the results that we've seen in the past from people like Jordy Smith in 2006, he, were, he was a runner-up to Joel Parkinson that year when he was only 18 years old. But where does he come from? Durban. Mostly beach mm. breaks. C.J. Hobge, the last goofy footer to win in 2008, he's a beach break surfer originally himself too. So I think having that kind of approach of wanting to catch as many waves as you can, but really the first good wave that seems to pop up, you need to be going on those waves because out there, I would really have to say time is your enemy. You get caught inside. Mm. Next thing you know, you're losing 10 to 15 minutes out of your heat. You're exhausted. You don't have the same kind of energy that you would have had at the beginning of the heat. It becomes a real challenge. And I really like to think of this as a waterman's wave, too. And that's, this is where I think some wild cards and injury replacement surfers, such as Kai Lenny, has a great chance of doing well out here, Dave. That's interesting. That is really interesting. So it's I'm glad you brought up the wild card replacement segment because this event has has quite a few you know on the women's side we've got the wild card zoe mcdougall mm -hmm. on the men's side we've got wild cards keanu ossing and kai lenny and then we have a number of surfers who have been injured so we've got replacement surfers on the men's side you've got carlos munoz in for ramsey bukiam you've got eli hanneman in for jadson andre and then on the women's side you've got Teresa bonvalot in for joanne defay and luana silva in for sophie mcculloch you know looking at, at just that group of seven, you know, the wild cards and the replacements, you mentioned Kai Lenny, you know, what other surfers do you kind of predict could shake things up um, based on these fresh entrants into the elite field? Yeah, I think on the men's side, you know, you look at past champions, whether pro junior, QS, the CT level. I really like Seth Moniz. He's been a pro junior champion out there before. Jack Robinson has won both a pro junior. And remember in 2019, he qualified with the last-minute victory at Sunset Beach in the last QS of the season, too. So he's mm. one person that I really look out for. Obviously, he's got a lot of momentum coming off of the win at Pipe, too. But I like the chances of people like Kai Lenny. Uh, one event that I surfed in, you know, Ian Walsh, who's a renowned big-wave surfer, won the event. And back then, you know, it was a big event. Jolson Teo was in there. A lot of powerhouse Hawaiian surfers that are you know, very good surfers at both Haleiwa and Sunset Beach were dominating those events. Fred Fataccia, Danny Fuller, Evan Valier, all these people that have grown up in heavy water waves know this place very well. So that's why I also have to go on the women's side. Somebody like Gabriella Bryan that made the semis last mm -hmm. year has a great shot. And obviously the local surfer, Luana Silva, who's a replacement surfer in this mm -hmm. event, I th think should do very well. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one. Kyle Lenny is such an interesting figure as far as like CTO wild cards go as well. I think probably out of any of the stops on tour, Sunset Beach makes the most sense mm -hmm. for him. And he is almost in like 
incomparable space as a waterman. He's so gifted at so many different crafts and huge waves of consequence. And for someone just as an outside observer, it does look like he's challenged himself to get better at what we, I guess we would consider high performance surfing. You know, how does he get to the CT? Can he match levels with the likes of John, John, et cetera? And I think he's kind of gone on the record and saying like, yeah, that's a goal of mine. In the past, his sort of forays into the QS haven't delivered those results. Um, he is a great, great surfer. It'll be interesting to see how his greatness stacks up against the greatness of the championship tour surfers, in my opinion, right? Because it, it is something where there is a little bit of an apples and oranges approach to it. And, and as you know, you know, elite level surfing, there is a speed, a power, a rhythm that is so fast and so strong that if you don't do that every day and that's not your profession, it's very hard to match that agnostic of how amazingly gifted you may be in kind of right. other realms of surfing. Yeah. And you bring up, uh, you know, the three biggest factors within the judging criteria, speed, power, flow. You're talking about the very elite. They're doing it at the highest level of consistency out of everybody in the world, too. So you have your tiers, you know, you play fantasy. And that's true. John, Gabe, all those guys, they've made finals. They've won here. Leave those guys to the side. You're almost guaranteed that they're going to do well, especially based off of the result that they had at Pipeline. But to me, somebody like Kai Lenny, looking at the former results of Poncho Sullivan, Miles Padaka, these mm. big wave Hawaiian surfers that have done well at heavy water waves, what Kai separates or, or, or separates Kai from the rest of the field is his endurance. He's easily the most conditioned surfer out there out of the whole field. And he has somebody like mm. Doug Silva in his corner who knows the wave of Sunset Beach mm. as well as anybody else. And you look at the past results of somebody like Billy Kemper is also a great big wave surfer. He's won at Sunset before. He had Kahea Hart in his corner. It's almost the same definition of consistency with Kai Lenny. So he's a surprisingly good surfer when it comes to surfing Sunset Beach. But um, I don't think anybody should underestimate him out there. That's a good point. And it kind of tracks with what we were saying before is just that comfort in deep water waves, you know, and that ocean knowledge and that experience goes quite a long way in a way that, you know, setting yourself up for the right wave in the right position with the right entry speed could maybe make up for maybe some of the deficiencies when you're just talking about like high performance, high performance yeah. surfing. But, you know, honest question, are you putting Kai Lenny on your fantasy team ahead of the uh, Hurley Pro Sunset Beach? I am, actually. Um, I have him as a Tier C surfer, obviously, because, you know, he's down in the rankings. He's a, he's a wild card due to Hurley. But uh, he's one of those surfers that I really like out of the event. But I, I saw the forecast already. It looks pretty tricky. Um, I think there's a couple of big days that will be very windy, but it looks better than the small days. It might be a little glassy. Um, personally, I think when it comes to surfing at sunset, I'd rather see big wave sunset a little bit harder to surf than smaller sunset point. I think we have too many of those waves on tour already, Dave. And especially when it comes to, mm -hmm. you know, having the mid-year cutoff now, we're challenging these surfers to bring out the greatest part of themselves. So let's go out there and get some big waves and really demonstrate why these surfers are capable of doing it in the Hawaiian Islands. I love it. And we will see how our current front runners on the men's and women's championship tours are Jack Robinson and Carissa Moore, how they fare out there as well. Obviously, they've been, you know, victorious at different levels of competing at Sunset mm -hmm. Beach. It's going to be really, really exciting. The, uh, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach starts on February 12th. 
Um, so everyone get your fantasy teams locked in. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch and we can't wait to see what the waves do. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back in just a moment. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Welcome back to the lineup, episode 141. I'm Mitch here with Dave. And Dave, we were talking about Sunset Beach, our favorites, people to watch out for. But now let's get into our Instagram fan questions. First one, our very own co-worker here at the WSL, at Chris Cote. Sub-genre points for the systems in terms of the fins. What are you liking, Dave? What are you liking out there at Sunset for the fins? <laughs> Well, it's a great question. Um, no one should listen to what I say about fins or boards <laughs> out at Sunset Beach. But um, I, I wonder if Chris is asking about, like, should the, the Vizsla CT shaper rankings have a subgenre point system for fins? Um, interesting. But, I mean, I think you and I were joking. It's like, we have to be pretty eagle-eyed, even with the boards, to see what people are writing. And I think if we added fins to it, it would drive us both bananas. But hey, you know what? If there's a partner out there that wants to pay for Mitch and Dave to sit <laughs> in the beach marshal area for several days on end and take notes on what people are writing, great. I mean, fins are so 
essential. Like it, it can take a good board and ruin it. If you got the wrong setup, it could take a terrible board and improve it. If you get the right setup, um, we have glass-ons, we've got FCS, we've got futures. He's mentioning NVS. You know, there's all these different systems now. And and in terms of what you're riding out at Sunset Beach, you know, I I probably would just go with a larger fin set than I normally ride, just for the stability. But I've heard the contrary too. Yeah. Like I've heard it's the way to go is small fins in big boards, big fins in small boards. That's what you want to do. Mitch, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's actually a great point that, that you bring up. That's kind of why I nod in my head. I'm like, uh, I'm in between personally, but um, I've ridden smaller uh, fins at Sunset Beach and they've actually worked very well. And as I said, I, did, I don't have a good track record competing there. But during the free surfs, I've had my fair share of great waves. And I can tell you, um, I think the first three events that I competed at, it was quite large on the outside. I was riding around a 610, 70, which is a pretty standard board for me out there. But... I was riding the Clay Marzo Future Fins, which I don't know if you remember. Those were like mm. a big deal back then. And sure, yeah. I really love them. They had the right amount of flex for there. Right now, I'm still a pretty big Futures guy. But um, if I were riding FCS2, probably the McFannings, I think they're a really good, uh, good setup when it comes to having a bit more stability when it's bigger. And if I were riding my Futures, I like the John Johns. They're just stiff enough to the point where. I'm stable when I'm coming off of my bottom turn, especially as a goofy footer. It's hard out there. You really need to fade. And when you're coming out of that fade, you need to have as much stability as possible. That's interesting. You know, and, and I, I would say, too, just based on observation over the last few years, all the CT surfers that ride FCS, virtually every single one of them has the fanning fin. You know, I think that's almost like the universal performance template for the CT surfers. Let me ask you this, Mitch. If you and I were there free surfing um, and it was, let's just say, eight to 10 foot, like West Swell, and by eight to 10 foot, I mean eight to 10 foot faces, maybe the occasional 12 <laughs> foot face. What what would be your ideal board setup? Like who's making it? How big is it? And, and what fins are you riding on that kind of a day? I'd probably be riding a uh, Wade Takoro, 7-0. Um, let's go with the John John fins. Um, I could either ride mediums or larges. At that point, I think, you know, I'm pretty even when it comes to that, especially if it's a free surf session. But I also want to have a durable leash. I need a leash that's going to withstand, mm. and, you know. That's one thing that I didn't touch on uh, during our, our segment of actually talking about the actual location. But sometimes I'm seeing people wear like small leashes. I'm like, yo, this is not a comp leash wave. You better have a seven foot leash out there that can actually withstand this kind of pressure. Especially if you get caught inside and you need to bail your board, you know that thing eventually is gonna snap. If it doesn't snap in the first session, it's gonna snap in the second one, Dave. I, I like it. I think that's good guidance too. Our uh, our next question is from another um, colleague of ours, I guess sort of former colleague, but um, one of the founders of the lineup, certainly our first producer, Mr. Et Ryan Fawcett asks uh, a bespoke question for you, Mitchell, which is how is Mitch feeling about his Lakers? I'm assuming this is post trade deadline this week. Like Dave, um, I love Ryan. You know, he's a, he's a former colleague of ours, but he's an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. And he's always going to be envious of the West being the best because of the Lakers. I'm feeling all right, you know. I've, I was really hyped on, on LeBron um, passing Kareem the other night. But, um, you know, that's in the past. We're looking to get gold this year. And um, 
I think we'll make the playoffs, and as long as we make the playoffs, it's clean slate after that. So I don't know where OKC is, but they're also out of playoff picture. So you know, we'll see when it comes to the end of the season. It's it's you know it's interesting because I want to get your impression of this too because I don't I don't follow basketball as close as a lot of um, a, a lot of people do certainly but not as close as some other sports but have like been trying to listen into the dialogue around the mayhem that the the trade deadline has caused and you know conversations about the CBA and how you know owners they wanted to be able to back out of long term contracts with players that didn't make it work and now they've got these short term contracts and players are flying around from trades and free agency et cetera et cetera and the kind of through line was well it becomes really hard on the fans to be fans of teams because the players it's not like it was you know 10 years ago 15 30 years ago where a player would sort of be married to that team often for like the bulk of their career um now you kind of have to be like oh you know we had that great player now they're gone you know how, how do you feel as a basketball fan just with this sort of modern era of you know in a good way player empowerment in a bad way it's like oh my team can get cannibalized you know within six months yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I was a huge fan of Russell Westbrook and, and always will be. And I was really stuck down on the Lakers, even though he didn't perform maybe the way a lot of people were expecting, including myself. But it's difficult. You know, you, you, as a fan, you don't want to see your favorite player get traded in the last minute, especially when you just bought his or her jersey. You know, the, 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 <laughs> those are, there's economic investments in there, too. And um, I think that's even applicable to, to surfing now, too. Well, you look at some people that have been staples of one brand for their entire lives and now they transition to another brand. It's like, oh, I just bought this portrait because um, he or she, my favorite surfer. And next thing you know, they get traded. I remember back in the day, I was super hyped on Trilogy. And <laughs> now they're including Trilogy 2. I know there's, you know, some behind the scenes stuff that's going on. But, um, you know, I think those kind of things really bring out the best of us as surfers, and especially when it comes to competi- uh, a competitive scene. Like, it's awesome to see these mini rivalries kind of brew. And when you see them go to the same team or have the same coach, a, a lot of times I'm just like, oh, like, how do I feel about that now? And I think it's applicable because we're seeing it more and more, Dave. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, it's such an interesting point. I mean, you, you were a younger man than I am. I'm, I'm approaching 40 here in a month or so. I, uh, I, I, for sure, surf marketing still works on me and like, oh, what's the world's best surfer looking? And oh man, they look pretty cool mm-hmm. in that. And I wonder if I can look a fraction of that cool if I wear the same board short. But as I get older, it's more, it's more like, all right, that felt, this board short feels better. <laughs> so I'm just going to wear that. Um, and also, and this is a little bit petty, but like having been around for as long as we both have, but also having like knowing all the people, sometimes I get really petty where I'm like, that fucker didn't answer my email. Like I'm not <laughs> wearing their board shorts like and I, it, it's sad that i say that but it's the truth and i'm like i don't know i'm not i'm not i i know too many people at that company i'm not wearing those things yeah <laughs> no it's right it's it's the relationships that you really build and you're like okay i actually like this because i like that person a lot and now i'm gonna wear their product because of that i don't like that person i'm not right. buying anything from that brand anymore yeah i don't care how good the product is yeah yeah that's <laughs> right all right, let's go into our third question now that we've bantered about my Lakers and I'm, I'm getting all that out. At Harper <laughs> underscore surf. Dave, what is your favorite wave in the world to surf? That's actually a great question. I, I'd like to know that too. It is a, it is a great question. I, I, uh, I, 
Ah, oh, geez, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I guess you know, be getting to surf at home is always special. Like, because there's just it feels different. So when home's working, you know, um, Silver Strand and stuff, I those kind of waves where I can get a, a lot of uh, there's a lot of waves coming. Not that I can get a lot of them, but you know, it's it's like here's a ton of waves. There's lefts, there's rights, there's little tubes, there's air sections, there's turn sections. Like, I, I really like that. That's why I always like every time we'd go to the Gold Coast surfing D-Bar, um, I, I really like those kind of waves. But then, yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate to get to, you know, go surf restaurants, you know, which is like a machine for goofy footers and like go to macaronis, which is, so I, it's a long way of saying I don't really have a favorite wave in the world to surf. And now that my little guy's surfing, like, it, you know, we'll go up to Refugio and, and get on the longboards and surf. And then that's like my new favorite wave, you know, like, so it's, it's hard. I don't know. I don't want to kind of rip off like <laughs> Pat O'Connell from the endless summer too, but like you can get the best wave of your life, like anywhere on any day mm -hmm. and it can always change. But yeah, getting, getting, getting to surf close to home and, and with people that, you know, in the lineup and having fun with your friends is, is probably probably up there for a lot of reasons but um but yeah what about you mitch what, what's your favorite wave to surf i i agree with you dave I, I you know i look back on the sessions that i had with my older brother and my father and there's probably nothing that i wouldn't give you know to replicate a moment like that because i think um what happens is that you get so involved in somebody in in another person's life especially when you love them so much and that bond mm. just like it, it connects even stronger now um, so right. I think, you know, looking back at those sessions that I have, I might say one wave that's in my hometown of Mazatlan, it's called Marmol. I remember one day it was four to six feet, you know, real fun waves, nothing special, but it was just us three and then another four or five people that we knew too. So I'd have to say Marmol just because of like a sentimental aspect of it. But realistically, I think it's Haleiwa. Um, as a goofy footer, mm -hmm. I just love the way you can drop in, fade a little bit, and that lip's just waiting for you, especially if it's just slightly onshore and you get that coping. It's a great wave, Dave. I love it. That's a great answer. And thanks to everyone who wrote in the questions at, at the lineup pod on Instagram. If we didn't get to your question, uh, please remind us. We'll try to answer it either on the next episode or, or via social media. We do try to respond to everyone, whether it's a comment or a question, whether it's positive or negative. So please keep up the conversation. Um, we're going to take one more commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to dig into the pre-Sunset Beach Vizsla CT Shaper Rankings. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. 
The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, it is time. It is now time for the Vizsla CT Shaper Rankings. Shaper Rankings! Quick reminder to everyone, we are measuring who the best high-performance shapers of the season are. We're doing that via a combined ranking where shapers are awarded points for their team riders who finish in the quarterfinals or higher, um, combined men's and women's ranking. And we have just finished the first event of the year, the Billabong Pro Pipeline. Uh, Mitch, what are the current top five standings after the opening event of the season? So after Pipe, in the fifth spot, DHD, 9,490 points. Get start for them. Channel Islands in fourth, 12,170 points. Paisel, no surprise, with both Tyler Wright and John John Florence doing so well. 12,545 points. That's solid from them. Mayhem in second, not really a surprise. Um, and they should do well at Sunset Beach, too. 14,745, that has them in second place. And to me, my pick to win this thing at the end of the season, I mean, without any favoritism, I'm just saying because of the amount of surface that they have and and how well they performed based off of last year, Sharp Eye in first, 19,490. So around just under 5,000 points separates first and second, Dave. It's a, It's a competitive start to the season, I would think. It is a competitive start to the season. We touched on this in, in our last episode a little bit. And those are all, you know, interestingly enough, kind of what we would call those tier A shapers. They've got the biggest teams and they're currently occupying those top five spots. But the second you drop beneath those top five, you've got Christian Bradley. He's only shaping for Leonardo Fioravante at this moment. He's in sixth. Slater Designs, they're making boards, obviously, for Kelly Slater and uh, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson. So they've got two. Rusty, they've only got one team rider in Kylie Belly. TNC Surf, they've got two team riders in Brisa Hennessy and Sally Fitzgibbons. And then Smith Surfboards, who is uh, Graham Smith, who is Jordy's dad, who shapes boards for Jordy Smith. Um, a ton of back and forth uh, after pipe, certainly amongst the shapers. It's been really <laughs> exciting to hear them like strategizing, like how can we maybe pick up a few surfers? 
Maybe we pick them up at Sunset Beach. Maybe some of the surfers are breaking their boards. Maybe we can slip them a few of ours and try to pick up some points here and there. Um, had this awesome uh, email back and forth with both Christian Bradley, um, who was shaping for Leo, and Stephen Bell, who Belly uh, was sort of, uh, what would we call him? You know, Kelly Slater's uh, guidance counselor, essentially, <laughs> for decades on tour, manager, coach, handler, etc. And he also owns Euroglass, which is the factory out of Europe. And, and they were both explaining how, you know, they've been shaping boards. Bradley's been shaping boards for Leo since he was 12 years old. He was also shaping boards for a really young Jack Robinson because Mm -hmm. Belly had that relationship with Quicksilver. He would bring all the young talent through Europe. And, you know, Jack was one of those young Quicksilver team riders that developed a relationship with Christian Bradley and rode his boards for a number of time. Um, and, 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 you know, Christian sort of sites being able to work with that level of talent is really impacting his ability to build world-class boards. Um, He also made a joke about how he was working with the kids to hopefully teach them that they don't need a hundred boards a year uh, like their (laughs) idols did at the time. I don't know if that that lesson stuck, but he he did relay that you know, Leo was writing a step-up model he calls the Send at, at Pipeline, and it's evolved from sort of the the step-ups he was doing years ago in Hawaii for the likes of Jeremy Flores and Dean Morrison. Um, Jeremy Flores actually won Pipe on a, a 6.0 early version of the Send, so it's cool to see that come full circle with with Leo. Um, you know, Sunset, he's saying, like, even if the, the size is similar, he expects everyone to be riding, you know, bigger boards. So he's looking at, you know, uh, six fours, you know, six sixes, six eights. Um, and, and he kind of said, you know, that the boards he builds for sunsets are generally less knifey, but they're, they're built for the power turns to hold, hold in the waves. And he cites, you know, the Hawaiian shapers as kind of having this so dialed because of, you know, their upbringing in the islands and the kind of boards they shape for sunset beach. So it's a really cool insight from Christian Bradley in terms of you know where he's come from his relationship with leo and and how that's evolved over the years and and what he's looking for between a pipe and a sunset board it's um it's an interesting conversation to have with a lot of people because as you mentioned even with the question uh, that that our co-worker chris cote sent us about the fins you can have the same kind of discussion about a board i remember uh, reynos hayes you know, helped me quite a bit, um, you know, teaching me Sunset Beach and, and what to ride, what not to ride. And he'd always tell me, hey, this is a wave where foam is your friend. And I'd, I'd rather have you, you know, paddle out on, on a board that's just a little bit too big than a board that's a little bit too small. And I personally love having, you know, something closer to a pin. A round pin works perfectly out there. You want something that's going to pivot well off of the bottom, but also stabilize your bottom turn when you're about to hit the lip too. And if you notice, there's been very few goofy footers that have been successful over the last few years, not including Gabe. He's just, you know, the golden goose out there that, that can do everything. <laughs> but, um, you know, CJ Hobgood, I think, is the last goofy footer champion that we've had out there. That was in 2008. We're talking about 15 years in separation when it comes to having a goofy footer as a champion on the men's side at the highest level. You know, maybe it's it's been done on the, at the lower QSs, but not in a six-star prime, a challenger, or a CT event. So when it comes to the very elite, they've had some difficulties, and I think that's where regular footers tend to have those shapers 
that know that wave so well. I'm talking about Jeff Bushman. I'm talking about John Pizel. Mm. And obviously, when you have a rider like John John Florence, that also helps. He's a former champion out there, and he knows the wave better than anybody else. It's a good point on the on how long it's been between drinks for goofy footers to be successful out at Sunset Beach. If you were to look at the draw as it stands today, men's and women's, you know, who do you think that the best goofy foot prospects would be to to claim a victory out there right now? Well, I gotta give props to, to their to their shapers while we're on this segment too, the Vizla CT Shaper rankings. Channel Islands has one really talented goofy footer that I love a lot, Santa Cruz's own Nat Young. I think he has a great chance of doing well out here. He has a lot of experience competing at both the QS level and the CT level here too. What I think Nat brings to the table is that he has an incredible fade and bottom turn combination. If you look at you know the performances that Ace Buckin had here back in the day, they have very similar styles. And I think uh, Ace's best result was a semifinal finish in the late 2000s, mm. early 2010s. And I think uh, both Nat and Ryan Callanan from JS Surfboards can actually um, replicate that kind of success too. Don't want to count out Connor O'Leary because I know he's done well mm. here in the past. Um, there was an all-goofy-footer clash. I think it was in 2015 when Gabe had that incredible floater. I think Ryan, Gabe, Connor were all in the same heat. And I think if Ramsey Bukiam were in the event, JS Industries would also have a good shot with him. But it's, it's, it's honestly a long shot. You know, I, I think um, they tend to underperform here because it's, it's such a difficult wave to dominate on your backhand, Dave. It's interesting. And what about on the women's side? We don't have a ton of goofy footers on the women's side, but you've got Tatiana Weston-Webb who rides for Sharp Eye. You've got Caroline Marks who rides for Mayhem. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. That might be it. Teresa um, Bonvolo is going to be in the event too. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah. good. Yep, that's right. And she's riding for Chile, James Chilboards right now? Yeah, she is, but uh, I'm not sure if that's what she's going to be riding in the event. Mm. She might be riding a local shaper too. Remember, she got the call up for both events, you know, maybe yeah. a few days, a week before the, the event period for Pipeline actually started. So I don't know if there right. was even enough time for her to prepare, you know, boards to get from a local shaper either. Um, so for the replacement surfers, note. it's difficult, Dave. Like next thing you know, hey, you got the call for Sunset Beach too. Are you ready? Do you have enough boards? Do you have the boards for that spot? It's a great note, and that might actually play into her favor. If we're looking at the uh, surfers who would have collected points for the Vizla CT Shaper rankings in 2022 at Sunset Beach, you know, on the men's side, you've got Takoro taking two of those eight spots and Arakawa uh, taking a third of those eight spots. And then on the women's side, you've got, you know, Glenn Pang taking a first, Takoro taking a second, um, you got Takoro taking a fifth. Glenn Pang taking a fifth and Paisel taking a fifth. Five out of the eight were, were local shapers. So, I, I mean, I would ask you, Mitch, just because of your competitive pedigree, out of all the venues that people compete at on the North Shore of Oahu, you know, Haleiwa we mentioned, Pipe we've talked about, Sunset Beach. I think especially when you're thinking about the pipe we got this year with the forecast as it was, is Sunset Beach the most how do I put it, Hawaiian of the Hawaiian <laughs> waves that you surf at? In the sense of like, no, yeah, at, out of any of the spots we compete at, I'm going to want to go with a local shaper. Right. No, you're, you're you're absolutely right. That's why I knew the question was coming as soon as you started your dialogue. <laughs> it, it is the hardest wave to shape for on the planet, I would say. 
um, just because mm. it's so dependent on the, the direction of the swell, how big it is, how small it is. Next thing you know, you could be surfing Sunset Point. You're riding a shortboard over there. It's rippable. It's fun. Once it gets big again, you need a way a board that's going to perform on that wave. And I remember uh, Ross Williams and I were chatting about Sunset a few years ago when we knew that it was going to be back on tour. And Ross is a local boy, right? He, I know he's from Haleiwa, but he surfs Sunset a lot over his his career. And he's told me it's not a good wave. And I agree with him. It's not a very good wave. It's a very difficult wave to surf. But what matters out there are reps. And when you have a local mm. shaper that's been out there, knows the wave well, and that's why I think Wade Takoro is so good and so important, and especially as a goofy footer, like there's a reason why his boards have worked out there. You know, McFanning, Gabe, last year Malia Manuel has kind of been, you know, a staple person outside of Australia for DHD. She decided to ride a Takoro, and guess what? She made the final. She had dominated the entire event up until losing to Brisa Hennessy, who's riding another local shapers board, TNC, Glenn Ping. So I think um, besides the two finalists that we had on the men's side, they both ride at Sharp Eyes, uh, Baron Mami and Kanoi Garashi. For the most part, you're probably going to mm-hmm. see a lot of surfers ride something out of the local shapers. I'm excited for it. Well, before we close out, Mitch, any any closing thoughts for you as we're uh, releasing this basically on the eve of the uh, Hurley Pro Sunset Beach? Look, um, go out there with low expectations. Uh, and I'm talking to the surfers because there might be a couple good days, but there's going to be a lot of days that's going to be even more challenging than what Sunset Beach already is. Um, the forecast looks a bit difficult and obviously you know we're trying to predict the future here we don't really know how it's going to be until the day of but if pipeline was any indication prepare some for some wind and prepare for surfing a bigger board out there when you're got at sunset right on well we're going to be keeping our eyes on the world's best surfers at the hurley pro sunset beach we're going to be keeping our eyes on the world's best surfboard shapers with the Vizla ct shaper rankings and uh mitch salazar is a pleasure as always to talk to you and uh yeah man i look forward to catching up down the track thank you so much thank you dave appreciate it so that's it that's the lineups conversation with myself and mitchell salazar i hope you enjoyed it The second stop on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, is streaming live on WorldSurfLeague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the Juaneño native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 